Welcome into another episode of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch with you and Justin Kinney joining us on location. Justin, where do we find you this week? This week I am at home. So good old Huntington, Indiana, coming from you from the uh, the Huntington Bureau, if you will, of New <laughs> Track Record podcast. The uh, home of the Tenderloin Sandwich, Huntington, Indiana. Yes, Nick's Kitchen. That's yep. right. That's our claim to fame, which, you know, isn't much. We'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, we have plenty to get to in IndyCar this week. Of course, this weekend it is the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. I think I got that right. Uh, also, we have more Silly Season news, and I think that's where we want to start things out this uh, this episode Hunkos Racing is back. They said it couldn't be done, and it has been done. <laughs> Hunkos returns. It'll be Hunkos Hollinger Racing. I think this all threw us for a loop uh, several days ago when this was announced. But, wow, this is really good news. And we had heard a rumor, I think, what, earlier this summer? I forget where I saw it, if it was Racer or somewhere else, that Hunkos was you know, trying to get back in it, and we all just kind of laughed it off. But here we are. Yeah, I mean, coming back and coming back in a big way, Caleb. You mentioned it with, uh, you know, partnering with Brad Hollinger, uh, renamed Hunkos Hollinger Racing Team. This is huge because not only is Hunkos back, it's it's back with a vengeance. It it appears as if they're going to have at least, you know, one paid driver. We don't know, you know, how many cars. Maybe it'll start off with a single car for next year and beyond, but you know, this is what it takes to be competitive in IndyCar is having the the financial backing to hire who you need to hire and not just a driver, but also mechanics and everybody behind the scenes. And that was what was holding Hunkos back as well as money, you know, uh, their first couple times around. And it's what's holding a couple teams back in currently in IndyCar. Yes, I'm pointing at you, Carlin. <laughs> and uh, this is so. This is huge for Perunco's to come back and 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 have the uh, financial wherewithal to really do it the way it needs to be done to be competitive in today's IndyCar. Huge news and congratulations to Ricardo Junco's for for getting this together and and we're looking forward to having him back. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know Junco's. I mean, he's got that great shop uh, just outside of downtown Speedway. He's still excels in the road to Indy it's not like he's gone away I mean he's been involved with the sport just focusing on the road to Indy level but it's not just for next year with this announcement it's that this team will compete coming up in the final three races of the season so they'll be at 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 Portland and Laguna Seca and Long Beach which I think that was also a surprise in the announcement yeah, I mean, wasted no time. And, and we knew that, uh, that Hukos had at least one and likely two tubs. So all they need to do is get those ready and find some, some drivers. And perhaps they use these three races that they're going to participate in here at the close of the season as a de facto tryout. Do we see different drivers in the seat in each of those races? Yes, it sounds similar to how Hukos rolled, you know, when they were going from driver to driver to find any amount of, of money. But this is intentional. This is trying to find somebody that may be the, the in the permanent seat for 2022 for the full season. And for Hollinger, Brad Hollinger, who is the partner with the team, he is uh, a healthcare executive. In fact, he is the chairman and CEO 
of Vibra Healthcare. So he's on the management team of that company. He was an investor in Williams uh, F1 a couple of years ago, but he's had ties to IndyCar in uh, the past couple of years. In fact, in 2018, he was uh, responsible, a co-owner of an entry in the Indy 500 uh, for James Davison. That was Foyt with Bird Hollinger Bellardi in 2018. And then in 2019, he also had involvement this time again with James Davison, but a different team, Dale Coyne Racing with Bird Hollinger Bellardi and James Davison in the 2019 Indy 500. So he has experience, did not uh, see him participate last year. Obviously, I think the pandemic probably put a hamper in those plans uh, to be involved in any 500 entry, but he'll be back. And again, this team entered the final three races of this year, full season next year. And for a guy to come from F1 where, you know, he was what a, a part owner of the Williams team and to move to IndyCar and, you know, highlighting the growth opportunities i think that says a lot of where the sport is headed yeah a stakeholder in williams uh, as recently as a couple years ago and you know that, that's a big deal because we, we talk so much about that f1 to indycar uh track for drivers here is an investor here is a team owner now that is making the jump from formula one to indycar so could that be an added, you know, storyline going forward? Could we see, you know, former, um, you know, people involved in Formula One teams come over? And I'm not saying all of, you know, or whoever, even though they should. But, you know, people involved in Formula One over there in terms of, of Formula One ownership or stakes in some of these teams, do they look elsewhere for, you know, their, you know, their their benefits or, you know, tickle the fancy of, of, of auto racing, especially if they're American. So it's a huge story and look forward to having Hunko's back as a steadying force on the grid. And I guess now the question is who do we feel could be in line for that seat, Caleb? Yeah, that that's obviously the, the next question in the Hunko's Hollinger racing uh, release. It says a driver will be announced soon. Now, could we see that happen this weekend? Um, I don't know about that soon, but obviously we'll know before uh, they head to Portland Labor Day weekend in, in a, basically a month's time. Oh, it's crazy. It's only a month away. But you, you look at drivers, obviously, on the short list, you would think Kyle Kaiser and Spencer Piggott would be on there. But don't forget their uh, Indy Lights team. You have Stingray Rob and yeah. Toby Sowery competing full season in Indy Lights. Now, the issue there would be you know, they would have to pass an IndyCar, you know, rookie test separate from just being thrown into a race week weekend, right? Yeah. I mean, you would think that, that they would uh, really need some some experience, I feel. And when you look at the standings, you know, Toby Sowery fifth, and you have to go down a ways for Stingray Rob, who's 10th. I feel it'd be much easier to picture one of those two drivers in that seat for next year if they're a little higher in the standings. If they were flirting with the series championship, obviously the the the, the scholarship would be great. But I don't think either one of them have shown the consistency needed in Indy Lights to make them worthy of an Indy car ride. And maybe yesterday's Hunkos Racing, where they needed drivers to bring money, maybe that would be an option. But again, going back to it with Brad Hollinger, this is a financial backing where it's going to allow Hunkos Hollinger Racing to hire who they want to hire in terms of drivers. 
And so I think we have to expand that list because the game has changed for this team in how they approach who's going to be in the seat. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, they, they can't just go out and, and hire, you know, whatever driver that brings a check. I mean, you, you look at just a couple of years ago, they had Kaiser do, what, a, a couple of races in 2019. The season before that, in 18, it was just a combination of a bunch of guys. Renee Bender is the name that comes to mind for me. Um, I don't think <laughs> yeah. he's going to be back with the team. Um, but it's, you know, like you said, they have the ability to go out and hire a driver. At least I would think for these final three races, it'll be someone more experienced like a Piggott or a Kaiser or throw in some other wild card that they have on their radar. I mean, there are several other guys available. Sage Karam is available, for example. Um, trying to think of who else. I mean, Gabby Chavez, depending on his you know sports car schedule. But after that, Oliver Askew. I mean, these are all people who are available that would have an opportunity to, to compete and, and would be a solid pick as far as guys who are in a seat right now. Now, the other question is, you know, do you think they already have the full season driver in mind for next year and then they're giving them the three races at the end of the season? Or are they waiting on someone who is going to be available after this current season and then go from there? It's an interesting question, Caleb. And and somebody and an angle that I thought of, too, is what about anybody – formally with Williams is do we ah. kind of look at that and say maybe I don't know like a Felipe Massa potentially Would I don't know about think? him I mean, but Felipe Nazar has to be probably under consideration he was supposed to do an IndyCar test in fact he did do an IndyCar test with Carlin a couple of years ago at Coda for like the the preseason test you would think he might yeah. be on the radar so, you know, if Brad Hollins are coming from, you know, the F1 side, the Williams side, does he have some relationships with drivers over there that have raced formally with Williams? And obviously seeing the success of Romain Grosjean, would that open the door in terms of interest from some other drivers over there? So I think that's an angle, too, that we may, may need to consider in really identifying who we think could fill this seat. Is there someone you think is a clear favorite? I mean, to me, it's, it, Kaiser is the clear favorite, you know, going in just because of his experience with the team in the past. You know, yeah, I'm I'm not putting Kaiser up there because I just I don't know. Look, this is a team that's going to be able to hire who they want, and I know that it's going to be your interest goes both ways. They're going to need somebody that's interested in going to effectively a startup program, uh, especially full full season for the first time. But is there somebody out there more proven and more, uh, you know, I don't want to sell Kyle Kaiser short, but more talented than Kaiser that could be out there? And that's where, you know, I I think there potentially could be. So uh, when we're looking at guys that may be out of a seat this year, potentially, um, you know, are are there any names and, and, you know, situations that you feel could come to fruition? Uh, I mean, to me, with a small team, it's either someone who's done a handful of races who has experience with Hunkos, or it's a rookie driver who brings some sort of check, and but it's not enough to get with a, a top-tier team for next season. I mean, could it be a David Malukas who has been yeah. flirting with, with 
with IndyCar. And, you know, it's not, you know, for all intents and purposes, signed, sealed, and delivered somewhere, like we feel Kyle Kirkwood is at this point. Um, you know, there's a lot to decide in that Indy Lights season, too, because you also have Linus Lundquist in there that's you know only 25 points behind in that championship. So if he wins the title, uh, could he be a prime contender to go to Hunkos Hollinger? So, yeah, I think there's a lot of angles to go here. Um, do we, I feel, Caleb, I don't know, you know, do you feel like it's a second car for the 500 out of that team? I feel like it's pretty likely at this point, if you're going by me. So do they hire a young driver and maybe bring in an experienced guy for the month of May, potentially? Uh, to me, that just depends on how many cars they have available. Like you said, we know they have one car and we think they might have a second. Not sure the level of that second car. Remember, they loaned their car to Peretta Autosport for the Indy 500 back in May. That was a Hunkos car. Right. Yeah. So did they get that back? Um, you know, as Peretta have it, um, is Peretta planning on buying a chassis then uh, if they, they plan to return? So a lot of dominoes here to fall, but I, I think it's all of a sudden when we talk silly season, oh, here is a brand new seat that we weren't considering. So it adds another level of this uh, silly season drama that, you know, we're, we're still just at the tip of the iceberg of. A couple of notes from the racer.com article uh, written by Marshall Pruitt. Uh, they will continue with Chevrolet as their engine provider uh, for this new partnership between Hunkos and Hollinger. And then in regards to the driver, uh, they, no names really given in the article, not that that's a surprise. Hunkos acknowledged he and Hollinger have drivers from IndyCar, Form- Formula One, and IMSA on their call list. They also confirmed that while the team will be open to running the same driver at Portland, Laguna Seca, and Long Beach, it could also try multiple drivers uh, for those three races, which I would expect you know, multiple drivers there unless they already have someone completely locked in, not only for the, the, the final three-race stretch of this season, but also next season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's a lot to follow because of the situation where they're coming in here to do the final three races. And we talked about it, Caleb, in terms of those final three races. I don't think Hunkos Hollinger is going to be the only team with a driver in the seat that is having an effective tryout for 2022. I feel like we're going to have at least you know one or two other situations within the paddock where we're going to see some new faces in seats to see how they perform and where they fit in for 2022. Yeah, well, obviously, Hunkos Hollinger is one. We would expect Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing's number 45 entry to be another. And then, I honestly, I think there's a shot that there's a surprise, you know, as far as someone is let go before that stretch and then they bring someone in for a tryout, you know, in, in a different ride with a different team. You know, could it be Andretti? You know, could it be somewhere else? Um you know, I mean, to me, that seems like a, a, a possibility. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Foyt use the final couple mm-hmm. races as a tryout for, um, you know, Kellett. Uh, you know, do we see Ed Jones out of there? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I think there's definitely candidates. And I think, you know, as the silly season heats up, you know, some of these drivers may feel the pressure to really make a move even before the season and at least to try to get – a prospective 2022 driver some seat time. Well, speaking of silly season, you just mentioned it. Let's talk our uh, favorite topic, and that is 
silly season. I, I know we make jokes about third OEM and international races, but I, I, I think honestly, silly season is everyone's fa- favorite topic, right? <laughs> Absolutely, especially this time of year, right? Yeah. So, what have we learned in the past week? Well, several things. And this was maybe a little surprising because we weren't sure on the funding uh, for this driver going into 2021. But we have more of a clear picture now, and that is that David Malukas, as you mentioned earlier, is one of the drivers in the fray uh, for a possible 2022 IndyCar seat uh, from Racer.com and Marshall Pruitt. He has been uh, talking with several teams, but uh, one team that is mentioned in the article, Ed Carpenter Racing, is among the number of teams have been rumored to hold an interest in signing the Young American. So, you know, we've seen everything from David Malukas with a combination of Ed Carpenter in one car and Renus VK in the other to uh, Connor Daly and Renus VK both in full season cars, plus either David Malukas or Nico Hulkenberg, which we talked last week, and there was a different article released uh, by Racer.com's Chris Medlin, who's their F1 uh, reporter, talking that Nico Hulkenberg has been in discussions with Ed Carpenter. That would be a road street course deal for next season. Ed Carpenter, again, is doing the ovals, but he would like to do the uh, the ovals in a, a third entry or even a third full-time entry that would be split. So there, there are a lot of options at play. But here's the thing where I think this story kind of loses its legs. Medlin says that Hulkenberg is one of a number of F1-affiliated drivers linked with a future IndyCar drive, but he's on Williams' radar, would be open to return to the team that gave him his F1 debut back in 2010. I don't think we'll see Nico Hulkenberg in, in IndyCar next year. Yeah, and obviously we've said it before, any opportunity for these drivers to exhaust their uh, their chances in F1, they're going to take before they head to the States for IndyCar. That's just the facts. And that's not just Williams Racing, that's point scoring, double point scoring Williams Racing now. Heck yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, it's about time. It felt like, you know, George Russell had scored multiple points this year just of how he's qualified and how close he's been. But uh, getting over the hump in Hungary – not just with one driver, but two. Yeah. A double. You, is, you know, a half dozen contenders to go out, and, you know, boom, you're in the top ten. <laughs> Amazing how that works out. We really haven't had a lot of attrition in an IndyCar race. I mean, we, we did have, you know, one of the Texas races, but it seems like it's been a while since we've had a lot of attrition. I expect that to change this weekend. Um, so yeah, that's. Have you seen some of those turns? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, uh, Very yeah, tight. I imagine. You know, and. and and, and real quick, it's, it's, I don't say it's amusing, but it is uh, kind of eyebrow-raising when we're seeing all this talk out of Formula One uh, with costs, with damage costs, right? Um, you know, especially Red Bull bringing that up, you know. And uh, we hear about that all the time at IndyCar is, is those damage, you know, bills increasing and going up. And, and now it's, it's being talked about in Formula One. So despite the budgets being, you know, 10, 20 times more in Formula One than IndyCar and potentially higher, they still worry about that uh, that crash damage, just like IndyCar does. And speaking of uh, IndyCar and, you know, continuing on with Silly Season, Simon Pagano, the update here, this is from Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. Simon Pagano says he continues to have ongoing discussions with Team Penske in terms of his future beyond 2021 in IndyCar or otherwise. 
He was very specific in saying, quote, with Team Penske, end quote, specifically. It's very interesting about the future, he said. Um, but this from IndyCar Deep Throat, and this kind of, again, we've, we've heard this from IndyCar Deep Throat for a while, but uh, interesting to note that part of the reason Simon more than likely won't be returning to Penske is because he wants a long-term deal. Apparently, he doesn't want to continue to do one-year deals, as Will Power was able to get a multi-year, three-year extension once the same. It's not on the cards. I just uh, look if if it's a difference between you know a, a one year deal with Team Penske or a multi deal year deal with anybody else in the paddock. I'm taking the one year deal with Penske. Um, that's just that's just me. But you know I understand you want stability, but at the same time you're with the best team in the paddock. And by and large, Team Penske rolls with those year to year contracts. Yeah, it, it's it's almost kind of surprising that they they gave a multi year deal to Power, especially after he struggled last season and he struggled this season as well. Part of that bad luck, but part of it also just, I mean, he's not, you know, at the at that high level that I think a lot of people expect him to be. Yeah, exactly. I think there's been a, a lot uh, left on the table for Will Power. Is it the beginning of his downslide? I don't know if we're in a position to say that yet, but definitely the results haven't been there. Keeping it with uh, some, some of the Older veterans in Silly Season, another name that we expect to move on from their team, Ryan hunter Ray, also uh, with some comments before the uh, Music City GP weekend, uh, telling Nathan Brown of the Indy Star, uh, Ryan hunter Ray has got some options he's working on heading into the 2022 season, nothing concrete yet. I uh, was also reflective about his 10-plus years with DHL and Andretti. Uh, says sometimes you need to shake things up and there needs to be change also more from rhr we'll see what that entails i've had a great time with them we'll see if it continues maybe it does maybe it doesn't he did clarify he does expect to be in an indycar at some point in 22 though he just says i don't know to what extent that is so it sounds like uh he knows about as much as we do in terms of, <laughs> of where he's gonna be next year is it full-time is it part-time is it a one-off I, I really feel like it's up to Ryan Hunter-Ray. Like I said last week, if he wants a full-time ride, I feel like there's a team willing him to give that, him that opportunity. Yeah, and you know, with younger guys like Malukas, who's aiming for a full-time deal, and then Kyle Kirkwood, who we would expect to take one of the Andretti seats, Roman Grosjean, who IndyCar Deep Throat tells us Grosjean to Andretti is a done deal. Uh, it starts to narrow down the options, and you know, there's a AP article that mentions, you know, options for Ryan Hunter. You have the second Meyer Shank racing seat. Um, you have expansion, you know, at Ray Hall. You know, could he go to an expansion, the third seat with Aaron McLaren SP? I That seems way less likely. Um, could he go to Dale Coyne? I know that was mentioned in a motorsport article several weeks ago. Um, so those are all things to kind of keep in mind for the future and I just you know at some point you start to run out of options (laughs) the good thing about today's IndyCar though is there are plenty of options out there we're no longer dealing with you know five or six teams and you know 19 20 cars and seats available by gosh we're we're closing in on what potentially could be 27 28 full-time rides next year Caleb so uh, a lot more options than there were even, you know, five, six, seven years ago. 
And also, Marcus Erickson, IndyCar Deep Throat, tells us, still not confirmed. Now, we, we heard that last week uh, in a racer article. So, again, that's still not finished, and I think that's another surprise. I don't know if that's just coming down to getting the contract signed or if there is a rift there that is bigger than I think we both would have thought. Yeah, and, you know, you know, taking a, a bit of a step back here real quick, Caleb, and talking about Hooncoast and Hollinger Racing, is, is their whole philosophy now going to change? And we mentioned about young drivers and who do they bring in? Do they want somebody to develop? Maybe Brad Hollinger is like, look, if I'm bringing the financial backing for this thing, we're not going to take baby steps. We're going to jump in the deep end. We're going to hire a proven driver and we're going to grow from there. So could that be potentially a Ryan hunter Ray, or could that be potentially a Simon Pagenaud? We don't really know where Hunko's Hollinger slides into the you know silly season table, so to speak. Maybe they want to go all in and hire somebody like that instead of you know bringing in somebody young and, and growing and going through the growing pains. Maybe they want to hit the ground running, and one of those guys could, could be a potential candidate. We don't know at this point. You know, and it sounds far-fetched, but let's think about it. Elio Castroneves, he went to Meyer Shank, you know, in the offseason. He was talking to, to numerous teams, but he went to Meyer Shank because he wanted to do more than the Indy 500. He was trying to get a full season, couldn't quite get that done. I mean, think about it. He's not really bringing any sponsorship to the table. But we're shifting now back, thankfully, to the days where you may not have to bring sponsorship to get a ride. You just have to bring your, your crash helmet, and you're good to go if you're a talented driver. And, you know, he has parlayed that from Indy 500 win to, plus his, his five-race five race deal for this year to a full season next year. Yeah, it's a great point, Caleb, because I was thinking about this, you know, a couple of days ago is – you know, back in the day, and I say that like it was so long ago, but, you know, you know, recently, within a decade, there was only a couple teams in the paddock that were, you know, you didn't have to bring a cent, right? And now you look at it and you feel, okay, uh, Foyt has at least one car with Rocket, right, that's, that's fully funded. Andretti has a couple. McLaren has, is hiring paid drivers. Ganassi's doing it. Um, you look at Penske, obviously. And I think you sh- you throw RLL in there. I feel maybe not all of their cars, but at least one. So, and then you throw Hunko's Hollinger in there now. So there's a lot more options for drivers that don't bring a lot of budget, as opposed to you know even you know six years ago. Yeah, and I think that's that's a change. I mean, this weekend we're going to have the largest field outside of an Indy 500 since I believe Long Beach 2013. So it's been a while with with the 27 entries, and this it's a sign of growth. You look at a TV deal that is very friendly for teams trying to sell sponsorship with majority of your races on network, and that's another thing that is that is key uh, for growth in the future. And then you start throwing in. I mean, look, these guys may not come, but to have guys like Nico Hulkenberg and Valtteri Botas, you know, rumored. For IndyCar, I mean, that shows you that the sport is gaining in cachet and people are noticing around the globe. And I think one of the the benefits for IndyCar through Formula One is we're seeing such young drivers being hired by F1 teams that when they're eventually spit out at the bottom of the Formula One machine, they still have prime racing years to give still. So it's almost like we're going to sit back and wait, and when you – 
when Formula One, the big gargantuan machine that is, you know, spits these drivers out and says we're done with them, you know, so to speak. That's where IndyCar swoops in. Okay, oh, you're 31, you're 30, you're 29. Yeah, you got plenty of years left. So uh, I, I think the trend for Formula One going younger and younger in the long game is benefiting IndyCar because you're going to get a lot of drivers that have a lot of, uh, of quality races still to run with no options left in Formula One. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. I mean, Grosjean was 34, I believe, when he came to IndyCar. He's 35 now, and he had a, you know, he had a solid career in F1. But then you, you start to think about some of the younger guys. I mean, Rossi had just a handful of races. Erickson had a couple of seasons. Chilton, same thing. Sato had a lot longer of a time in F1, but I think still less than uh, uh, Grosjean had. When you talk about IndyCar guys who were in F1 in the past, but you have more opportunities. And, you know, I mentioned Valtteri Botas, and we threw the name around last week. And there's a Forbes article. And it's an interview uh, with Forbes.com between uh, with Valtteri Botas. And his comment on, you know, what does the future hold for him uh, after Formula One? And he says, it's nice that there are a lot of options. Again, I don't know. I will always go with what I feel like at the time. I don't know. There's so many options. Rallying is one. IndyCar, why not? Le Mans, for now, I find it a bit too boring. The races and test days are too long. We'll see. <laughs> hey, so, you know, he's he's a lock now to IndyCar. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't prompted to, you know, say IndyCar in the question. He brought it up unprompted. So, clearly, he, he's in the fourth Penske. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Do you feel though that he has some life left in Formula One before we would entertain it, or could we be? Could I be wrong in particular? Could you see him sooner rather than later? Um, I would be surprised if he's not in F one next year. I mean, one, he's as far as we know, he's still with Mercedes. I mean, we all expect George Russell to slot into that second Mercedes entry alongside Lewis Hamilton for next season, but maybe he could return to Mercedes next season. But if not, I mean, I still think there are options. I would think he'd be the lead driver, Alfa Romeo, if Kimi Raikkonen uh, retires and or is forced out of that team. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of like his best option. You know, could he be an option for Williams? You know, swap between, you know, Mercedes and Williams with George Russell. You know, that's also a possibility. I just – I'd be surprised if he's an IndyCar next year down the road – Maybe. I mean, he's 31 years old, so he is on the, the younger side. It just, I mean, it seems like he's been an F1 for a very long time. But Right. I mean, that just goes back to how young yeah. they're bringing him in in Formula 1. For sure. And, I, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate for Valtteri Bottas that he enters the summer break with his lasting impression to Toto Wolff is just plowing into the leaders at Hungary in Turn 1. And I know it was extenuating circumstances on the intermediates, but when, when Toto Wolff was asked, you know, how he's in, he's looking at his drivers and then basically the competition between Botas and Russell, it was, you know, it's almost a race-to-race thing and, and everything matters. And going into the most extended break of the season for Formula One, that was not an impression that you wanted to leave with Toto Wolff, that's for sure. No, absolutely not. And he's going to have, what, a, a five-place grid penalty as well for for the next F1 race, so... He'll already be working help. from behind that weekend. You know, and, and we bring up, you know, you brought up Valtteri Bottas at 31. He's still got a lot to give in auto racing. 
Kevin Magnuson, still only 28 years old, turns 29 in October. And, you know, he's exhausted all options in Formula One, and we expect him to be an IndyCar at some point. And, you know, the one that came up, you know, the last, you know, month or so is Alex Albon. And he's, what, 25? Yeah. 26? I mean, and and you got to feel, okay, is he done? I mean, he has potentially, you know, some life in Formula One, but he doesn't. He's still only 25 years old. So, again, that's the beauty of, of this with Formula One is hiring 19, 20-year-old drivers for, for F1 seats is once they're done with you, they got – you know, another half of their career, if more, if not more, to look forward to. And, you know, that's going to continue to lead to IndyCar, I feel. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, that, that helps. We saw this happen in the past where guys would retire from F1 and, and come over, and it was happening, you know, as, as late as the mid to late 90s, you know, consistently, and then the split really took away from a lot of that, you know, moving back and forth between the two series, and that's starting to happen again. And again, it, it happened on a lesser level to begin with, but now with you know Grosjean coming over, I mean, that, I think that's completely transformed that pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too is we'd be remiss, you know, Caleb, without mentioning this. And in the Racer dot com article about Hunko's Hollinger racing, you know, one thing, and and I I think it was I think it was Hunko's quote pointing to Roger Penske is owning everything now. Yeah. And, I think we, we talk so much about Roger Penske being able to sell uh, in boardrooms and, and, you know, trying to get a third OEM and, and tracks and investors in the series. But we're seeing a guy from Formula One look at IndyCar and say, that's on stable ground because of Roger Penske owning them. That's what I want to be in. That's where I want to invest because I trust Roger Penske. The guy's a billionaire. What he touches works. And I think that's something that we've kind of glossed over, but this is the you know one maybe one of the first prime examples of outside investors mm. investing in a team because of Roger Penske being in control. And and you know is this the first of what could be several instances of this? Maybe not brand new teams, but additional investors and sponsors for teams because of Roger Penske's impact. Yeah, and it, you have to consider and realize how much of a difference that has made just in the what a year and a half essentially wow going on two years in a couple of months how much that has made a difference in the confidence level for the team owners i'd say the confidence level for the fans in negotiations with key partners it just it brings everything together and it seems like next year is the year where indycar could really take off again Especially with with the momentum with with the TV ratings and 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 that, I, I think it's going to be a very exciting off season. I feel because it's really the first true off season that Roger Penske is going to have after a year of racing of somewhat normal racing. So I expect some additional big things to happen, whether it be series wide, team wide, whatever. I think it's going to be an exciting off season, but. Uh, you know, we still have six races to go, Caleb. We still got, uh, you know, almost a third of the season, over a third of the season left. That's true. And Penske, I mean, this will be his first full, hopefully, fingers crossed, normal off season. Because let's not forget, he didn't take over IndyCar in November of 2019. He took over in uh, in January 2020, and we all know a lot of stuff changed two months later. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, yeah, he he was, you know. 
priorities were were a little bit different last off season as opposed to heading into this off season, which it's really going to be a sprint to the finish, Caleb, for between you know this Sunday and uh, and the end of the season in Long Beach. It's going to be a true sprint with only what a couple day, a couple weekends off between the twenty first and the twelfth is really our only only off weeks. Yeah, I mean, uh, three races, a break, and then three races. It'll be a flurry activity heading to the end of the season. And, you know, Penske took over. It was precedented times, uh, then went into unprecedented times for his first full season, and hopefully we're out of that as we go into 2022. Had to, had to drop yeah, it hopefully in. Hopefully we're, we're rounding back into precedented times for sure. You know, back-to-back triple headers. It's those dreaded F1 triple headers, but instead of going around <laughs> the world – we're just going around the United States. Yeah, a little bit easier on on the teams for sure when it's just in the, in the same country. Okay, so a little bit. Uh, I think that's all the silly season stuff. Not a whole lot of news, but just a few little things that came out here and there over the past week. Um, Do you have any juicy nuggets from from IndyCar Deep throughout this week? Nothing. Nothing really else. Uh, we will probably. I feel like we'll have a lot of stuff. Uh, after this weekend in Nashville. I don't know why, but just everyone being back and uh, race weekend, I think there will be a lot more news. And not necessarily, you know, official announcements, but I think the rumor mill will pick up even more. I agree. You put everybody under, you know, one roof, so to speak, in the paddock, and people talk, and people talk to other people, and game of telephone. Yeah, we'll have some more rumors coming out of this weekend, and, and maybe you can pick up on a couple while you're down there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. We'll see. All right, coming up this weekend again, we mentioned it's the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. That's a mouthful. There you go. Good job. But happening, streets of Nashville, Nissan Stadium where the Tennessee Titans play. That'll be kind of the paddock area and the starting area. It'll go over the Korean Veterans Memorial Bridge uh, onto the other side of the river and then back around. Some of those turns, as we mentioned earlier in pictures, look very very tight so we expect some crashes for sure and with 27 cars uh, a a few things to keep in mind again elio castroneves will participate he'll be in the trans card entry marcus erickson will have the bryant car which looks slick special designs for both the aero mclaren sp cars scott mclaughlin in the dex imaging car taking a look at uh, some other changes ahead of the weekend um Takuma Sato in the Shield Cleansers car. Santino Ferrucci is back in the 45 High V car. Again, Roman Grosjean, Jimmy Johnson participating. Cody Ware, an extra entry. The black Nurtec ODT machine. Number 52 for Dale Coyne Racing uh, with Rick Ware Racing. And Jack Harvey is also participating again after <laughs> he's going to change teams next year. And we still don't know. We think it's Ray Hall, but we're, yeah. we're, not, we're not positive. Caleb, you know, when we look at uh, the race, which is a late start, I don't know exactly when the green flag is scheduled to drop. Coverage starts at, what, 5.30 on NBCSN? Yes. Um, And I'm looking because the good thing is, is you have a lead-in from NASCAR straight into the race coverage. But it always makes me worried. I mean, it's... Uh, it's a three o'clock start for that race at Watkins Glen on Sunday. I'm not sure if that's the green flag or what, but you know, I, I just always worry. You know, at NASCAR with with overtime and all that, 
Uh, it tends not to happen as much at Watkins Glen, but I just worry about a bleed over from Cup. I think with that being a road course race, I mean, it may be less as likely to go to overtime. I, I may be wrong on that, but I think there's – I feel at least a little more confident as far as that goes and getting into the race on time. Again, 4.30 Central Time, 5.30 Eastern Time coverage on NBCSN after the NASCAR race. The NASCAR race starts at 2 Eastern, if I'm not mistaken. Or is it 3 Eastern? Okay. It's three. Three? Okay. Well, that will be that will be interesting. <laughs> Worries me. And, you know, just please don't rain at Watkins Glen. I know they can race in the rain, but anything that pushes Cup back, uh, let's just avoid, okay? For sure. Because it would be IndyCar's luck for its premier event, for premier new event in 2021, to be relegated to some secondary station off of NBCSN or something happened to where it cannot go off as planned on television. And Robin Miller, who uh, posted a a note over the weekend, um, again, sending our our prayers to Robin. Uh, Not, you know, he's not really sure when he'll be back at the racetrack. He hopes to be back for what the, the IMS race in a couple of weeks. Uh, But he is, you know, undergoing treatment and we don't really know where this is going to go. But good to see him at least back with a byline on, on racer.com. And he asked the question, you know, does Nashville have what it takes to become a premier street race hit for IndyCar? And he kind of comes to the conclusion that, you know, they have what it takes and fingers crossed. Now, there are a lot of things at play with a street race. And we, we were texting back and forth earlier and, you know, some things they work out great. Obviously, Long Beach has been a long-standing partner. Toronto, minus the pandemic, has has been a long-standing partner. St. Pete is is also been a, a newer street race partner. This worked out well. But then for all of those, you can throw in Houston. You can throw in uh, Baltimore. Baltimore. Boston. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Et cetera. Et cetera. Uh, and, and and with you know. You know, go ahead, Caleb, because we noticed something today that our, our friend uh-huh. Adam Stern released that made us kind of uh, a little worrisome. Yeah, and again, it's not going to be profitable. A street race can't be profitable the first year. It's just the setup costs, everything, it's just not realistic. However, I think the concern is the wording by Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal. He says, Music City GP won't be profitable this year, but organizers are hoping it will be by the third running in 2023. Now, I know that's kind of standard procedure for these events, that it takes three years to reach a profit. However, we've seen it, you know, before Houston, what was back, was that back for three years or two? I mean, Uh, it it was not around for long. Three. Three, okay. And then Baltimore was also around for three. Um, But Stern says revenue projections for the race have been met, but expenses have come in slightly over budget due to increased material and labor costs. Okay, some of that is pandemic-related, obviously. But it is still a cause for concern. And you look at some of the things. Obviously, Nashville is a very cool city in the moment in the country. I I think it was Austin for a while. Now Nashville's kind of superseded that as far as a major city in the country. Nashville's kind of become the it place. Um, But 
you know, it's 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 going to get a great fan turnout the first year, and they stopped ticket sales. You know, as far they could have added more stands, they didn't. They I think they added one extra stand uh, that still has some tickets available. Three day reserved seats sold out. Uh, there are a handful of single day seats for race day available, but and all the you know VIP suite that stuff sold out as well. And you kind of wonder with an, an event like this. I mean, you're going to have a lot of people from Nashville coming in who have no idea there's a car race going on because they're just there for the party, <laughs> or they're there for the the concerts as well, uh, with a lot of country acts participating over the weekend. All that included with your ticket. And then there are going to be people, you know, coming for the actual racing on the track, like myself, a lot of people from the Indy area as well, obviously making the drive down because it's not that hard of a drive from Indy to Nashville, especially with the the time change. So it makes it pretty, pretty easy to get there. And I mean, Nashville is an expensive city for one. And some of the, the stuff that they have as far as the rules go, I think is going to be concerning for a lot of IndyCar fans. Now for people from Nashville, it's not going to mean anything, but you know, to have the tickets done through Ticketmaster, uh, because again, the, the Titans have a lot of tie-ins with this event. Uh, obviously a lot of people don't like Ticketmaster. Um, they're going to have a lot of policies that are typical for an NFL venue, NFL stadium that IndyCar fans are not used to. You can't bring in, you're cooler with your food, your water, your beer, whatever. You can't do that. You can bring in a clear plastic uh, unfilled water bottle. So an empty clear plastic water bottle. That's all you can really bring in. You can't bring in a, you know, a a camping chair or any kind of chair for you know the general admission seats. You can't bring uh, any kind of like stadium seats or blankets to sit on the seats. So these are all things that I think, you know, road course restrictions are pretty loose. Indy 500 is also pretty loose. But this will be different uh, for a lot of IndyCar fans as far as that experience goes. Yeah, it could be a little bit different, and you'll be there to kind of give us the uh, the play-by-play, so to speak, on how it goes. But, you know, going back to, to you know, Adam Stern's report, you know, it's not – we did like you said, we didn't expect it to be profitable year one. But look, we've every new, uh, you know, road and street course has always said, look, you know, by year three, we plan to be doing it. You plan to actually be making money with this thing. Never happened for Baltimore. Never happened for Houston. No race ever happened at Boston. So it's a little concerning. Is You know, we've just kind of heard that conversation before and then ended up that there was no money to be made. So hopefully that's not the case with Nashville. Yeah, and – Let's not forget the streets of Qingdao, China. That one also never, oh, never happened. Yeah. <laughs> the the great race that that was expected to be. That one. I, I think we dodged a bullet with that one, Caleb. Yeah, oh, for sure. And and also, I mean, <laughs> Sao Paulo as well. I mean, that s- successful yeah, event. Things changed with the uh, band TV, which was also the promoter, and it, it didn't work out. Then they tried to change venues for. You know, the next season, they're going to race where? Like Brasilia? And then that fell apart, and that was it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a great point. I forget about Sao Paulo, but it came down to money there, too. So it all comes down to money, and at least this year, Nashville isn't making it. 
you hope next year and especially year three they are making some money. Yeah, and I think go away. I think if this is successful year one, they'll add more stands, they'll evaluate, you know, some of the things. Now, the positives is this is, you know, there's no city money. I cannot stress that enough. No city money for this yeah. event. And I think that is in their favor because it's privately funded, privately run. It helps with, you know, changes in political office, you know, that that's not as much as a factor. I mean, that was a huge factor for Baltimore, as I recall. So that's not something that's going to come into play as much. Now, I do know with the current mayor in Nashville, this mayor was more on board with this idea for the event and kind of helped greenlight it. That part is still important. That's not going to go away. You have to have the support of the city for the event. But again, with no taxpayer money paying for the event, that helps immensely. Yeah, the big thing is with that, you know, no city money. So that's that's huge, and that probably gives the event a little longer leash than otherwise would. For sure. Okay, so I know a lot of people are concerned, curious about the bridge, but that there's a great read on Racer.com, interview with Tony Cotman, who we had on, wow, was this a, a year ago, talking about the track design? If you go back in the archives, you can find the episode. And we talked about the track build. And everyone's curious about racing over the river, but I, I actually drove over that stretch. I mean, they already had barriers up, looked normal, and Cotman said in this interview that they're using even more, you know, advanced barriers than they've used in the past. They weigh like 9,400 pounds each. <laughs> yeah. So, and kudos to you because, by gosh, you tried to get over that, over the fencing, if at all possible. You were testing the uh the technology so to speak doing what you could to try to get into the river and you couldn't <laughs> yeah i was i was trapped on the bridge i <laughs> i couldn't go anywhere <laughs> uh no i i don't expect you know much issues i mean yeah there's always the unforeseen but um you know you had a, a you know you had a front row view of of just how high that fencing is and and from what tony Coppin said on the article on racer this is very technologically sound uh, barrier that he said, you know, the same principles are used to uh, hold back uh, avalanches and rock, rock falls from, um, from highways and stuff. So I think this is going to hold up, but you know, it's racing. You never know. Yeah. And, and with the racing aspect, we talk about the tight turns. It's a new course. I think there are just so many unknowns going into this event, you know, if it will be successful leading up to it, everything seems super positive, but you get to on track action and you kind of wonder, you know, what's going to happen, you know, that the drivers have said that the bridge section is, is a little bumpy. So that will be something to keep into play. And that's where they, they can be going, you know, 180 over the, over the bridge, you know, in either direction. That's something you keep in mind. Also with the tight turns, I fully expect we're going to see a first lap crash and you know that will that will change the race and just uh, again it's a green track so it's not like there's going to be a lot of rubber laid down so just all things to keep in mind this weekend going into the race on Sunday that you know this is not like a typical race weekend i mean when's the last time we've really had something so unfamiliar in IndyCar i mean i guess it would be what Sao Paulo in 2013 right I mean you know it's 
The road and street courses are a different animal than, than ovals or even, you know, permanent road courses. I mean, this is going to be a completely new experience for everybody, and it's going to be a learning process, too. So, you know, I, I, you know completely unknown. You know, we when we, when we pick our, our winners here in a little bit, you know, we have no history to go off of. It's phenomenal. It's just a blank slate. We're writing a new chapter in IndyCar here this weekend. So looking forward to how it goes. I hope we avoid any major stumbles. Hopefully, we don't have you know a red flag for the uh, for the uh, you know the the surface coming up or anything like that. Because so, uh, you never know. First time on a road and street, unforeseen circumstances could result. Yeah, that is that is the fear. Uh, Detroit, what, what was that? Twenty twelve incident. Yeah, <laughs> that is the yeah. ultimate fear. Which they had to stop it a couple times, right? That uh, that it was coming up. I think it wasn't just once. They had to keep keep going and and resurfacing uh speaking of uh, racetracks and track builds also the long beach track build has begun as of earlier this week so something else to keep in mind and that one i mean the build times are pretty long and i i saw for nashville that it would take i think was it like 10 days to clear out everything yeah after the event i mean that's just crazy yeah, and I think it went back to, you know, just how, how big those concrete barriers are and how much, you know, all the concrete barriers are connected. The fencing is connected, interconnected into the barriers themselves. So there's a lot to take apart and move. So it's a substantial undertaking to move that stuff out. So you, you look ahead to this weekend. Again, a green track. We don't really know what to expect, but we got to focus on the championship a, a little bit here. What are you expecting? I mean, I think everyone is kind of penciling in New Garden, and I don't know if that's just like a sentimental favorite because it's his hometown race, but there's just a, a lot to keep in mind. Do you think New Garden is the guy to beat this weekend, or is it someone completely different? Yeah, I, I, I really think – well, part of it is New Garden's dominance recently. You know, led the most laps each of the last three races. Of course, only won one of those. But uh, also, I think there's a little bit of, you know, you're tilting it towards him because, like you said, it's his home race. Um, But I really don't know what to expect. I almost feel like this is going to go in the hands of the veterans that can handle it. And New Garden's in that conversation. But I'm also looking at Scott Dixon and, you know, he's the Iceman. And and this is a new, you know, unique, exciting opportunity for everybody. And I feel like Dixon's that guy that's going to enter at even keel not going to take any risks. He's going to not put a wheel wrong, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's the guy that wins the first Nashville Grand Prix. I, I, you know, just uh, it would be fitting that the best driver in, the, in, in this era of IndyCar would win an inaugural event somewhere. I'm going to go with Pato Award. I mean, he was super strong at Detroit, and I think with a, a track like this, there's a little bit of carryover. So that is that is my pick for the weekend. You just spat in the face of everything I just said and went <laughs> yeah. to Pato Award. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Why not? Okay. I mean, yeah, sure. Why not? Just completely go against everything I've, I said. I mean, that's probably the smart play. So if you agree or disagree with our picks, uh, please let us know. You can interact with us. Our website is NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up and subscribe for our weekly email list so you never miss an episode. Also, you can interact with us on social media. Just like us on Facebook, search for New Track Record. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast, or you can email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. All right, time for the mailbag this week and a handful of tweets to get to as 
Again, it was a rather quiet week outside of the uh, Hunkos news, I think, that took everyone off guard. So starting... Thanks, Ricardo. You really saved the week for us. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So starting with the tweets, the first one, this is from 500 Indy 1911. I'm curious if an IMSA-style NASCAR and IndyCar mashup on the IMS road course to replace the Harvest GP would be an interesting watch, run cup, Xfinity, IndyCar, and lights. I mean, I'd go. Um... Yeah, if that would replace the Harvest GP and also replace the, if this would be moved or become the the race that is coming up in in what a week and a half at IMS, yeah, right. I'd be I'd be interested in in that. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I you know my stance on extra uh, road course races at IMS, so yeah, I, I'm I'm okay with it. Um, this from Chucky WX in regards to uh, Robin Miller's letter to the Racer Nation says that was awesome. Robin was the guy through the split. He knew Tony George was wrong. Never bit his lip, even though it cost him his job. He has meant tons to the IndyCar community, and all he really has ever been is a fan. Get well, Robin. Yeah, I echo a lot of those s- sentiments there. Yeah, it sounded like uh, like Robin was in a bad spot there just a couple weeks ago. You know, he, he's better to the point that he's able to write some. Hopefully he continues on the road to recovery. And he's pissing off some, some people here uh, in the near future because that's what he does best. And the mailbag's coming back, so. Yeah, next Wednesday. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. I know you are. That's one of your favorite things. <laughs> your thing. We're going to read it and go, nothing's changed. It's going to be <laughs> nine pages, and it's going to be the same question. It's going to be half. Kudos to Robin, and for good reason, and the other half is going to be the same old stuff. But we're excited anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, it's something to get us through the lull. Yes, absolutely. I mean, midweek sometimes, especially, like, ah, you know, so close to the race weekend, and we're going to have a lot of race weekends here coming up. Yeah, it's that good middle-of-the-week IndyCar fix. All right, so I posted a poll the other day after Hunkos Hollinger Racing announced their uh, return to IndyCar next year and also later this season. But uh, what team returns to IndyCar next? 83% said Ryan Reinbold, 13% said Conquest, 3% said Team 3G, 1% said Panther. <laughs> I had to throw in Team 3G. Remember that? You know, 2000, was it nine? With Stanton Barrett, who's the former stunt driver, and then there are a handful of other drivers who participated with that team. But just uh was it, it used to or it was uh was it at one point beck motorsports or partnered with beck because i remember beck motorsports and i thought i remembered stanton barrett being involved in that but i'm not sure the the other drivers on the team as i pulled up here so stanton barrett did first five races and then race 16 on the schedule jacques lazier did a handful and Richard Antonucci, if you remember him, that's the nephew of Eddie Cheever, I believe. Um, ah, he okay. also did a handful of races. I think Beck was earlier, and it was Beck and uh, Curb Agajanian <laughs> worked together. And then it was, it, every year it changed names. I think it was like one year it was like Leader Motorsports or something. Wasn't like there that. a, yeah, like a... Well, leader car—that was a name way back in the past, right? Right. Yeah. So 
Uh, yeah, it was a conglomerate of things. And every year, I swear every year, the name changed to the team. But, uh, yeah, 3G is a blast from the past. But I don't see them coming back. No, I, I don't either. Uh, R. Cole said Chiva Racing is the next team to come back. Yeah, with uh, Red Bull. <laughs> Poet Shevchenko, DRR is the best bet. As a side note, remember two or three years ago when some people were suggesting charters or franchises? I said then and use uh, the new teams, team expansions now to say that would have been a terrible idea. Yeah, uh, unlike NASCAR, apparently IndyCar does not need charters or a charter system, they just needed Roger Penske to take over and, and inject a lot of optimism back in the sport again. And I would say if if Cup had Roger Penske, they wouldn't need charters either. Probably. Uh, Nick J. Fletcher, I went Roth Racing, Canadian Racing's true national treasure. He did have that top 15 once at Chicago. Yeah, I almost put Roth on this poll, but I thought that's too obscure and too far removed that it's uh, probably not happening. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't put Kelly Racing on there. You know, Kelly Racing from Fort Wayne. And I've talked to uh, to Tom Kelly a couple of times over the years, and I've always asked him every time, hey, when are you getting back in the sport? And he laughs. And, you know, if he said, uh, if he said John Menard would call him and he'd said, hey, I'll finance it, let's go, he would go. But he said, uh, now he'd be in too much trouble from his wife if he tried to, uh, to uh, at least use his money restart a team but he said hey john menard <laughs> calls me with a fat check i'm in <laughs> yeah I, I don't think that's happening but <laughs> uh, unfortunately uh these responses on hukos returning a uh, poet shevchenko and totally unrelated news fernando alonso has withdrawn his entry into next year's indy 500 <laughs> that's great uh, uh r cole says i can't wait for the carlin and hukos 2022 new track record season preview episode <laughs> Hey, we haven't been blocked by Hunkos or Hollinger yet, or Hunkos Hollinger. So true. Advantage Hunkos in the early in the early betting line between those two. And then Hunter's Way sixty seven. IndyCar is getting all big time on us. This is awesome. Yeah, I think this was a surprise. I I hope this comes together. I mean, I I don't really have like a sense of like oh this won't happen because of the partner added, but you know they've been trying to do this for several years. Hopefully. This opportunity, it works out. This is a bigger deal than the majority of new team announcements. I'll say that. And, you know, we'll see it on social media. We'll see a random racer story that such and such is planning to, you know, enter the series, blah, blah, blah. This has substance, right? Yeah. I mean, official team announcement, not just from a media source and, it was covered everywhere from Racer to IndyStar to IndyCar.com itself. I mean, I have a little bit more confidence as long as they show up at the final three races this season that they'll be participating next year. Uh, Poet Shevchenko, uh, this is elsewhere on uh, the Adam Stern note about the profitability of Nashville. Uh, the question is, after running the event, how much capacity is there to either grow revenue or reduce cost? And with the latter, how much of the extra costs were due to setting up a street course in a new venue. I mean, there's a lot of first-year costs that they may not have or that they can figure out on how to reduce for year two, but you would think they're going to try to at least add more fans. I know we talked about that earlier, but that seems like a key thing is increasing fan capacity. And then Braylon Breeze underscore uh, says, uh, you know, you, you mentioned – increasing capacity for for year two 
Uh, Braylon Breeze underscore writes, I agree. 60,000 fans really isn't that much for street course standards. I would disagree with that statement because Long Beach, I mean, in recent years, I think the most I've ever seen reported was, what, like 55,000 on race day? Yeah, and I mean, there could, there's thousands of people watching that race from the high rises. True. They're not paying customers, right? So I think 60,000 in the gate uh, is pretty impressive if you can get that on Sunday. But I suggested all you need to do is have a straight that goes through Nissan Stadium and fill it to capacity, and you double your attendance. You can fit 67,000-ish in Nissan Stadium. It's it, it, it's easy. You know, call Tony Coppin now. I have all the ideas. <laughs> uh, this also from Poet Shevchenko. Listening to the podcast, my funny but probably not true idea. Penske is doing a quid pro quo with Mercedes. They provide an engine for the series, and Penske takes Bodas off their hands. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if we see a Patronus sticker anywhere on any Penske car between now and the end of the season, oh I'll boy, into that theory, <laughs> yeah, fully, fully on board with that theory. And he also yeah. writes, uh, "Cause to celebrate at the Milwaukee Mile in regards to the mailbag coming back." <laughs> yes, I have not gotten an update on the Milwaukee Mile in almost two months, and I'm going through withdrawals. I, I know they had a like Miller Motorsports, you know, vintage weekend a, a few weeks ago, and. People were saying, oh, the track still looks great. It looks like it could host. But my understanding is that's more with the Fair Park board than it is with the capability of the track being able to host. Yeah, absolutely. I'll point out, you know, driving to and from Colorado last week past uh, Iowa Speedway. I told you about that last week. Looks mighty lonely out there. I uh, had some RVs out there last when I was heading out there. Not sure what was going on. But, uh Yeah. Still in the cornfields of Iowa, still sitting there. Looks like you could turn the lights on tomorrow and host a race. Did you uh, go to Colorado Springs, go to the other uh, uh, Pikes Peak International Raceway? You drive by there? You know, interestingly, I went down I-25, which is absolute hell, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Went from Fort Collins, Greeley area, which is where my brother lives, uh, through Denver to Colorado Springs. I actually took my son to Cave of the Winds, which is the second highest cave system in the united states for those that are actually interested in such a thing (laughs) and uh was a stone's throw from pike's peak and i'm not sure in relation to where i was where the track is i don't know if i needed to keep going south on i-25 through colorado springs because i didn't do that i know i've passed it before but it was years and years ago so i'm not sure in relation to where i was where Pikes Peak Raceway is, because whatever highway I was on when I passed it, it's right on the highway. But I'm not sure if that's I-25 or what. So if any listeners know exactly how close I was to the infamous Pikes Peak Raceway, please let me know. I think I've driven past it before when I was driving to Denver up from Texas. But, yeah, I'm not entirely sure where it is. I know it's not really near anything, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah, is kind of a problem obviously i do yeah i do remember it being in the sticks for sure so yes um I, I also went by the exit for chicagoland speedway on my way back i didn't ooh. see that from the highway but um also passed that so i went through joliet which is where chicagoland speedway is but did not see up close the speedway not sure how it looks nowadays iowa speedway we expect to not be so lonely though next year Right. I fully hope so. Yeah. I mean, it's it definitely it's in the middle of nowhere, no doubt. But, um, yeah, it belongs on the schedule. It's an IndyCar track. 
it's 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 uh, you know attendance wise or capacity wise, I think it fits what uh, IndyCar wants, and I, I feel maybe the best thing for hopefully for that track and for that event is a bit of a hiatus to really kind of rejuvenate the fan base around there. And I did find uh, searching on Google Maps, uh, Pikes Peak International Raceway well south of Colorado Springs. In fact, it's south of a, a town of called Fountain, and it's just north of a town called Wigwam on I-25. Oh, is it, oh so it is right on I-25. Okay. Yes. So if I would have kept going, I would have passed it. Yeah, except you would have been, you know, it's almost <laughs> closer to Pueblo than it is to Colorado Springs. <laughs> it's so far south. I mean, maybe not quite, uh, but, I mean, it's just that it's that far off. For how fast or slow I was going on I-25 between the uh, construction and the traffic and the uh, torrential rainstorms we were going through, it probably would have taken me another three hours to get to Pikes Peak Raceway from where I was. It was hell. Well, at least you weren't driving on that stretch during a snowstorm. Not that I've done that before or anything. Very true. <laughs> yes, could have been a heck of a lot worse. And it is a little weird when you're driving on I-80, which is what I took all the way out there, is they actually have barriers. like They're like uh, railroad um, arms that come down on the off and on ramps when they have to close I-80 because of the snow. Oh, yeah. Nebraska and Colorado. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty weird. So uh, something I haven't noticed before, but... Uh, yeah, it's, ex- it's exceptionally flat out there, especially with the snow when it kicks up at the wind. They'll close I-80. So, uh, yeah, always listen. If, if the gate's down on your on-ramp, don't try to get on I-80. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a very bad idea. <laughs> now that we've gone completely off track, uh, we'll get to yeah, right. news and notes. Yeah, we'll get to news and notes. Um, let's see. They had a test at Portland, 10, 10 cars. This would have been last Friday, so July 30th, Pato Award led the test. Again, as always, testing times do not matter. Uh, but also, you had Jimmy Johnson and uh, Elio Castroneves there. Jack Harvey uh, still did the test. Felix Rosenquist there as well. Alex Pillow, Scott Dixon, Marcus Erickson. Um, so, a handful of guys at Portland. And again, this will be the first race at Portland since 2019. Only race on the schedule without a title sponsor, which is still surprising to me. And a little bit concerning, I feel. I feel like yeah. could it be that event that um, you know goes away because they can never find the financial backing, despite it being relatively successful. You know, so hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully they find one uh, for next year. Um, but we do have breaking news here, Caleb. Oh, um, your your. Pit stop challenge winner in Nashville is Scott Dixon. Oh, maybe a good omen for the weekend. Yeah, so he's making my pick of Scott Dixon uh, look good at least for now. Beat Sebastian Bourdais in the uh, in the final. Here, as I'm seeing a short video uh, from the uh, from the IndyCar Series Twitter. Looks like a good crowd watching it in the shadow of Nissan Stadium. I see the Hard Rock giant guitar there. So I don't know if it's right in front of the Hard Rock or what, but it looks like a good crowd for uh, for the pit stop challenge for Scott Dixon to be the champion. Oh, there you go. That's uh, that is interesting, and something again. Not that we are surprised the Ganassi pit crew would win a pit stop competition, but of course not. It's it's a good confidence boost ahead of the weekend if you're on the crew. 
No doubt. And, you know, kind of shake off the rust a little bit because, you know, as much as you practice, I'm sure, in the garages and at home at the shop, kind of good to shake that off and get it a different locale and work on those pit stops before the big event coming up on Sunday. Elsewhere with uh, some driver news, R.C. Enerson. So we know he's doing the Big Machine Spiked Coolers GP at IMS uh, in about 10 days' time, depending on when you listen. We record on Thursday night, so about 10 days, 9 days, 10 days, whatever. Uh, (laughs) 10 days' time. (laughs) He will compete in that with Top Gun Racing, but we learned several days ago he will be in a car this weekend – at Watkins Glen, driving the number 15 Rick Ware racing machine in Cup. So good for him. He's on the entry list, sponsored by Lucas Oil School of Racing, which I believe his family runs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but that is a cool uh-huh. opportunity for RC. So good for him. And thrown right into the fire. You know, no practice time, all that. You know, Cup's still going with that. So being thrown into the deep end, so to speak. We'll see how he does at Watkins Glen. Did he race at Watkins Glen in IndyCar any? I don't think he did. Um, I know he did mid Ohio in the past. I'm not sure on Watkins Glen. Yeah, me neither. I don't know. Maybe he has a little bit of experience uh, on that track. Every little bit helps. But uh, kind of looking at it right now, uh, I don't think he did. Let's see it. So, the first time, no, he did. He raced in 2016 for Coin. Got a top ten at Watkins Glen. I think that. Um, was his best finish um, ever in IndyCar, was the top 10 at Watkins Glen. So he he has experience in in his limited rides that he's qualified for the race for. He's done a solid job. I mean, at Indy, they were just honestly kind of behind the eight ball, getting on track late, and to find the speed they did, I think, was impressive considering the circumstances. Yeah, no doubt. So he should have a good weekend, and then I look forward to having him back uh, on track later this year. All right, so this, I think, is something we will debate a bit, and Uh I I find it interesting. So Notre Dame and NBC announced that the home opener for Notre Dame football against Toledo, which is on Saturday, September 11th, exclusively streamed on Peacock. Now, the spring game was a free stream on the app, but for this, you have to have a subscription to watch the Notre Dame football home opener. It'll be on Peacock, not on NBC. The rest of the games, uh, home games for Notre Dame, will be on NBC this season. And uh, I find this announcement interesting. Obviously, NBC has the Olympics right now, and I've actually struggled to find live stuff to watch on Peacock outside of like some of the recap shows and just the highlights. But this is another thing for them to try to grow Peacock, but also... Another thing that will make a lot of people angry, but also show where we're at when it comes to streaming. Yeah, you you said you know old guy angry is uh, is pretty much what is going <laughs> to happen with this with this thing. But uh, you know, every year for the last couple of years, it feels like Notre Dame has put at least one of their games on NBCSN, and usually that's um, uh, against a Mac school or pretty much the least hyped home game of the season has been put on NBCSN. So with NBCSN going away after this year, it makes a lot of sense for NBC to try, like you said, to grow Peacock by at least for this year putting a game exclusively on Peacock. And and to me, it's just 
it's it's going to be the norm, right? I know it's going to make people mad. It did with IndyCar when the TV new TV deal came out. The details of that, uh, you know, we talked about that article came out a couple weeks ago about about NASCAR and how their new TV deal, um, you know, in a couple years we'll probably see some shift to stream only for at least a couple races. So this is the new this is the new reality, and IndyCar maybe just a little bit ahead of the curve. But this is a big example. Now, you know, Notre Dame football gets big ratings for NBC. So for them to put one of their games, even just one of their games, on Peacock is a not, not just a risk, but also you know pushing that 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 Peacock. And and look, you can get like you mentioned, Caleb, to me, you can get what the free trial for seven days or whatever and watch it. So it's not yeah. that huge of a deal, you know. And I mean, you know, if it gains them twenty five hundred extra subscribers. And that's that's a victory for them, right? Yeah, well, I I would think they hope this will gain them even more. Plus, all the games will be streamed on Peacock as far as the Notre Dame home games. Just like IndyCar next year, you'll have two races on Peacock exclusively and then the rest streamed on Peacock live, which we thought was a key element for the next TV deal. You had to have a live streaming option, and IndyCar didn't have that previously. They'll have that moving forward, and I think that's, that's a way to, to – grow a fan base and again five bucks a month for peacock as far as the cheap option it's not bad it's cheaper than nbc sports gold was you know that was what 60 bucks for the indycar season and this this is cheaper when you throw in all the months it's what 35 40 bucks so it's nothing yeah it's a lot less and again it's not just notre dame that's going to have a stream only game espn plus i think will carry um, some sec games this season i mean we're talking early season games it you know it's they're not putting alabama versus georgia or you know georgia florida on stream only yet but that's something that we could see in five years and look at it, you know, going going ahead next year, we've talked about it, or, you know, 2022, 2023, whatever it is, the NFL with Thursday Night Football, moving that to exclusively Amazon Prime. So as we get closer to the start of the NFL season, Caleb, and we know that, re, you know, they start the season now on Thursday night, could the opening night of football in the NFL in a couple of years be just stream only on Amazon Prime? It sounds like that could be a reality, maybe that opening week game will be on network as well but uh, the nfl putting one of their games every week in just a year or two on amazon prime only that's another indication of where we're going with live sports streaming is the future and i think people need to just accept that for what it is yes just embrace it it's here it's here to stay and it's going to be a bigger and bigger impact on on what you watch and how you watch it. So uh, innovation, you love it in, in auto racing, and you may as well embrace it when it comes to TV. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great comparison. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a couple other notes to get to. Uh, some sad news to pass along. Uh, Jimmy Vassar's dad, James Vassar, uh, passed away uh, several days ago. Um so, again, thoughts to Jimmy and his family on that. Uh, also, uh, Marshall Pruitt posting they have stickers for sale, uh, and it's Robin Miller's St. Jude Children's Hospital charity fundraiser. 
you can go to marshallpruittpodcast.com slash merchandise. It's the top item on the page, the uh, Robin Miller fundraiser sticker to get that as well. And a positive note, oil pressure blog, George Phillips, who lives in Nashville, covers IndyCar, one of the bloggers covering the sport, uh, reporting that his wife learned the results of her first post-treatment scans a couple days ago and all clear. So they'll be at the track. Maybe I'll see him at the track this weekend, but uh, some really good news there. Excellent. Good news. Great news. Do you have your random split era driver of the week ready? Boy, do I. <laughs> okay, so which of those, uh, well, which teams in your poll? One of those was Conquest Racing, correct? Yeah. Great. So we're going to go with Conquest Racing way back in 2011. It's the 10-year uh, anniversary. Well, that, that doesn't meet the, the guidelines. No, it's po- that's post? Yeah. Dang it. I always forget such things. <laughs> Give me a minute. But this guy was great. Hold on. Let me get it. I had a backup. Let me find him. I'm curious. I'm going to look up who the driver you're going to say that. I mean, it's got to yeah, be between 96 that. and 2007. <laughs> uh, I always got to make a note of that. I always forget. Jao Paulo de Oliveira? Is that? Yes. <laughs> that was my guy. I literally have never heard of this guy, and I followed IndyCar in, in 2011. I've never heard of him. <laughs> uh, me neither. That's why I thought he was so great. But uh, you ruined it with your with your rules. I mean, it's got to be a uh, got to be a split era guy. He raced just to continue. He raced the Motegi, season finale at Motegi, but that was on the road course again because that came after the uh, what the earthquake, right? Or was there a tsunami? Yeah. It was the earthquake, right? It was the tsunami. It was the earthquake and then the tsunami. It was a okay. double, double whammy. Earthquake caused the tsunami. So, okay. I got my back up. Okay. Remember Scott Mayer? Yes, I actually do. Do you really? Yeah. All right. Well, he's the, uh, the hopefully not many of our uh, listeners remember Scott Mayer, uh, former driver in the, in the racing league. So split era, Caleb. <laughs> uh, did 2002, 2003, and 2005. Raced for five in, well, three races for PDM Racing. Uh, it was owned by uh, USAC Silver Crown Series owner, Paul Dyatlovich. And uh, it was uh, it was a low-budget team, PDM. Do you know what PDM was affectionately dubbed, Caleb? Uh, no. PDM? No. Or dumb mechanic. <laughs> Seriously, uh, one of its former owners called it that. Yeah, <laughs> poor dumb mechanics. Instead of uh, Paul Dyatlovich uh, Motorsport, it was uh, poor dumb mechanics. But uh, interesting tie-in, and this is something we can talk about here because um, Mr. Scott Mayer did attempt to make five races between 2002 and 2003, and two of those he did not qualify for. One was the Indianapolis 500 in 2003. He also missed the 2005 Indianapolis 500 when he was with A.J. Foyt. But at Chicagoland in 2002, did not qualify. Wow. And and I I want to say, when we talk about last time that we had bumping at a track not Indy, was it that Chicagoland race? And I'm not exactly sure the circumstance of that, but I know it's been forever since we had bumping. And I think that's something that as we go forward, when we look at 27, 28 cars 
2022, are we reaching a point where we will once again have to go back to bumping? Maybe not next year, but if we get closer to that 30 number. Well, in in, in that race, so I'm looking at the, the box score for qualifying. He's the only driver to not qualify. There are 25 starters. So I would think maybe he just didn't make a make a attempt. An attempt. Uh, yeah, it's not getting into the specifics as to why he did not qualify. So because one of the drivers had an engine issue in a practice. Um so not not entirely sure there, but yeah, it, you know, what is the appropriate cap at a non-Indy 500 race? You know, is it 28? Is it 29? Is it 30? Is it 33? I feel like 30 at most, at most venues. Unless and it's a, too many. a super speedway like a Michigan or a Pocono. Can't really be oh, Fontana anymore. Michigan people. <laughs> I mean, Fontana's oh. out because they're changing the track. But Michigan and Pocono, I'm fine with 33. Now, I don't think we're going to get to that unless they do some sort of, you know, triple crown deal, you know, promotion thing. But I mean, I, I think to me, 30 is the max. But some tracks, I mean, Pit Lane, Mid Ohio is pretty tight. I mean, 26 could be the max. Toronto, Toronto same problem. Most other I tracks. Road and Street. I would throw mm-hmm. Long Beach and St. Pete in there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know what that magic number is. You know, the interesting thing with Scott Mayer, and I mentioned twice he tried to qualify for the Indianapolis 500, 2003 and 2005. Neither year did he complete rookie orientation. He couldn't. He failed rookie orientation twice. It's not really a, a good sign. No. <laughs> Not at all. Um, yeah, not good. So uh, he did, let's look, he did um, race in the 24 hours of Daytona in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship 2004-2005, uh, but has not raced since, at least in major racing. So Scott Mayer, I can't believe you remember him. Do you remember him from uh, IRL then? I just remember the name as like a random driver for whatever reason. Well, that's this feature. Well, a random driver. <laughs> yeah. His, uh, his best finish all time in IndyCar was 19th at Phoenix. He started the, uh, the season in 2003 with uh, Poor Dumb Mechanics Racing. Uh, he was 21st at Homestead, 19th at Phoenix, 24th at Motegi, and then could not complete rookie orientation at the 500. And was done until 2005, where he again couldn't pass rookie orientation. He did a couple of uh, sports car races, though, just a handful of years ago, right? Yeah, it's 2014-2015. He did uh, Daytona, he did Sebring, and it looks like he did Road America in 2014. So he, he at least had some more recent racing experience. But, yeah, that is that is a long gap in a racing career. A little bit. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, that's, I have never seen somebody – fail rookie orientation twice at least when i'm looking at split air drivers that's pretty pretty wild to me so you're saying like he is so bad that he was good <laughs> i would say he's so bad he was bad <laughs> and not maybe not a, a bad race car driver just open wheel was not his forte well yeah and, and some of that is just you know what kind of testing 
he probably didn't have a very good car <laughs> considering poor yeah, dumb mechanics was right. the the <laughs> lovable acronym they put for the team <laughs> uh yeah so um yeah not very not very good uh equipment you could say but you know even with aj Foyt no five not best equipment but it's probably better than pdm racing still couldn't complete rookie orientation all right well that is our random split era driver of the week we had a bonus you know non-split era driver of the week yeah, as well that in there. <laughs> which i never heard of that guy but uh, scott mayer yeah, i think really more interesting yeah yeah you know some people are going to hear about here know of our obscure drivers of the week but uh if they got interesting backstories if you learn something that's the point correct all right a couple of tweets for tweets of the week first from roman grosjean uh he's got a picture here in indianapolis downtown indianapolis several days ago the best street can't believe the advert behind though and it is for the uh, for lunar find fires and firefighters i think it was during the firefighters like conference that they have every year in indy <laughs> i mean you just can't make this stuff up <laughs> that's just good stuff and then jimmy johnson with a reply to spotter brett uh brett griffin saying you know nashville IRL three-day VIP tickets with food and drinks included, $500 for two, DME if in- interested. And Jimmy Johnson replied, bro, IRL, that's so 20 years ago. <laughs> but then again, Roger Penske even still slips. Yes. Yes, he does. Uh, I'm always curious whenever they do interviews if he still says IRL. I think he did when they did the transition you know, press conference, right? I think so, and I think, you know, probably one of his people are holding up a sign in the back that has IRL and then like a slash through it, but <laughs> it's amazing to me that a entity that was only around for what, 10 years? Uh, a little bit IRL? a little bit longer. I think the IRL term went away in 2011 or 12. I forget the oh, year. Oh, it's been that recent? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's a little bit more. It's probably more closer to 15 years it was around. But it's just kind of amazing to me that it's uh, it hasn't been around in almost a decade, and it really, truly wasn't around that much, that long to begin with. Is still ingrained in people's mind because I know a couple of people that that still refer to it as IRL that are racing fans and like, dude, 10 years ago. Come on. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm looking it up. And I know they tried to shift away from the IRL term, and I believe that happened. Oh man! It, After Vegas? No, before. Okay. I want to say it was 2010 or 2011. And uh, Roger Penske has yet to get the memo. Yeah, he probably was filling out all the information when he was buying the IndyCar series. And it was like, whoa, 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 I'm buying the IRL. What is this IndyCar? <laughs> yeah, he, was, he wasn't sure. He's like, I, this transaction has me puzzled here. <laughs> this is not what I signed up to buy. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, with that, that is our preview episode for the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. Also an update on Hukos Racing. We'll be back next week to recap the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another episode 
of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.